School didn't teach us how to be good at love. So I created the Stubborn Love Podcast to help you navigate it. With my expertise in the marriage therapy biz, I'll share insights on topics like sex, money, and rock and roll. Um, I mean, navigating conflict and more. No matter what stage of relationship you're in right now, this podcast is for you. Every episode has actionable tips that will help you create a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life with the people you love. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now and join me on this journey of love and learning for the stuff they didn't teach you in relationship school. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Stubborn Love. Our guest today is Camden Hainsworth, who is an ADHD coach, and I'm so excited to talk to her today um, because she works with all aspects of ADHD, whether you are the person who has it, whether you're the partner that has it, whether it's in your family and you're trying to navigate it. And I'm just so excited because this is so common in my own work with clients and um, especially with couples. Too many couples just don't know how to navigate the intricacies of ADHD and they'll end up in a constant cycle of arguments. So Camden, thank you so much for being here today. Um, before we get started with our topic, could you just introduce yourself to listeners, tell them a little bit about your journey to where you are and how you got here? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on page. This is great. Um, like you said, my name is Camden Hainsworth. I'm an ADHD coach. Uh, if you've never heard of an ADHD coach, uh, this is a little bit of what we do. <laughs> we um, help clients get really clear on what ADHD is. So there's a, a portion of it that's education, at least in my coaching. And then we help clients and I help clients get really clear on what their goals are, what their values are, what they want out of life. And then we bridge the gap. And a lot of that bridging comes through, yes, skills and strategies, but also understanding the whole cause, like what's the underlying reason why these struggles continue to surface. And we do that all through the lens of understanding ADHD. So I work with individuals, with couples, with parents and children, um, entrepreneurs, uh, the whole gamut. Uh, we all have relationships. And um, the number one relationship we have to start with is ourself uh, in order to improve others. And so that's where we begin. And then it makes the rest of the relationships a lot easier to manage. Okay. I love where we're getting started here uh, with relationship with self and you know, either coming to learn about a diagnosis with ADHD or like kind of like thinking you might be curious you have it or just totally unaware. So can you kind of walk us through that process of like um, the the relationship with self? Where does one start? Uh, that's a really big question. And I think depending upon your background, it has a lot to do with it. Um, I started my ADHD understanding of self uh, or, or understanding myself through the lens of ADHD at 36 years old when I started to recognize, wait a second, I think there's a name. I think there's a diagnosis to these things that I've been feeling for the rest of, you know, for my whole life. It's very similar to you, Paige. Like you said, you're a late bloomer, you're a late diagnosis. And once I started to see my life and see my choices and see uh, the struggles that I had through the lens of ADHD, all of a sudden I started to develop a great deal of self-compassion. The same way that I might have compassion on my children, or I used to be an elementary school teacher, on my students, 
And that compassion grew because, uh, you know, if I had a student that, you know, um, didn't have arms or was blind or had any other number of physical disabilities that you could see, I would be uh, so happy (laughs) to help accommodate them and to help them succeed based upon their needs. And my needs were a little bit less visible. In fact, sometimes ADHD, they call an invisible disability. And so when we start to acknowledge that and accept it as part of our experience in life, uh, exercising compassion for ourselves, I love the phrase, this makes sense, helps us to gain a better understanding of why we act and why we do the things that we do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that you can approach it in such a much more kind way because like when I was first diagnosed, I had a partner at the time who who would just kind of um, say you're so forgetful or you do this wrong and like it was it was very kind of like blamey and not really coming from that concept of understanding so I, I love the first step with us that we have to internally do is first understand ourselves so we don't kind of suck in all the external you know unkind comments that we get very interesting process yeah it is it's really helpful and I I also think that there's you know, I don't want to skip over the part of mourning, like a loss of what we maybe thought our life would look like. And for a lot of people, that is really, really necessary um, to recognize, wait a second, what would life have looked like had I under- understood this about myself earlier? Or how how would my parents have treated me or my teachers have treated me if they had the lens of ADHD that I do now? And so I think there's a degree of that mourning, of the acknowledgement that things are different that now than we have thought about them maybe throughout our whole life. And that's that's a really important part in order for us to have compassion and understanding. Uh, and then also, I think, as we're talking about relationships, it also helps us have compassion upon our partners who maybe don't quite understand what's going on or our former teachers or our parents who didn't really understand what was going on because especially as late diagnosed individuals um we knew our life one way before and now we know it a different way now and uh loving ourselves in both arenas before and current um are equally as acceptable we need to love ourselves regardless and (laughs) with greater understanding and greater depth to understanding who we are, that compassion, that understanding is even, even more profound. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious at all, if you happen to know, like when someone gets diagnosed much later in life, like as an adult, instead of, you know, growing up in school, it's commonly diagnosed in children. Like what's the difference of impact? I wonder in, in those two groups of like diagnosed early, diagnosed way late? It's a great question. It's, it's actually really interesting because I think I have a pretty equal number in clientele and also in other ADHD coaches that I interact with, uh, people that have known their whole life uh, versus people that have been diagnosed, let's say in the last five years or so um, as adults. And I would say uh, there are degrees that are a little bit 
a little bit different, but because mental health in general is so much um, more on the rise in terms of education and awareness and uh, even having the information at our fingertips through the internet and through podcasts, et cetera. I think because that's more on the rise right now that even those who were diagnosed earlier in life, they still weren't advocated for the same way that those who are diagnosed now um, could be advocated for. I'm not saying it's perfect now, but they still, many of them, like maybe they were given medication, but that was it. There was, there was no education. There was no books. There was no podcasts that were accessible to them as kids, you know, growing up in the nineties, um, in the early two thousands, like that just, that wasn't the culture, uh, in the world. So, uh, while yes, there will be differences, I think when it comes down to, you know, what it's distilled down to is now is the time to start making steps forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like now, now that you know, get the support. Um, I, I love how you kind of explain that. Whereas like with, if you were diagnosed way back, let's say 30 years ago, I mean, we have so much more information now, 30 years later, um, that I think even if we had the information, we still probably wouldn't know what to do with it properly or the, or the treatment as much as we do today. So very interesting that, that you brought that. I'm, I'm also curious, I've kind of seen this as a trend on like social media and TikTok. And I, I don't know if you've seen this in your clientele with um, just different genders that you see. Um, they were saying that oftentimes women don't get um, diagnosed or uh, they get misdiagnosed um, with ADHD just because of how we are socially groomed to be. As, yeah. Um, yes. So uh -huh. could you talk about that? Yeah. And I, I will do a little plug for Sorry Sold In. She has a, a book. I think it's called Women in ADHD right now <clears throat> um, because that's a really great resource. They can just go straight to <laughs> straight to a really well-informed book that could help you with that. Yeah. I mean, um, specifically in North America, certain gender roles have been uh, widely accepted traditional gender roles. And that goes so much further than maybe what we think in our brain. Um, this goes further than that. This is like how, how a woman versus a man or a girl versus a boy should, should perform and look successful in the classroom. Um, what a, an anxious boy looks like versus an anxious girl. Um, it even actually gets into, uh, you know, race as well. Like th this is a, a much bigger issue than just a single diagnosis and the way that society approaches certain behaviors based upon uh, certain attributes that we hold um, and that relationship. So often, yeah, white uh, boys, little boys that are hyperactive bouncing off the wall. That's what we would think about as ADHD and m myself included. <laughs> I remember, you know, um, as a little kid thinking, oh, that kid's hyperactive and thinking something about that kid because of that label that I heard other people give me <laughs> to label him with versus the hyperactive brain of a girl in the classroom who maybe was a little bit more spacey, quote unquote, um, you know, her, her imagination would go wild and she would see, 
you know, all of her hyperactivity was inside of her brain. And so it was less recognizable. There's also a, a really big correlation of women who have been diagnosed with generalized anxiety and not been able to be treated with either generalized anxiety or depression and later on in life continuing to advocate for themselves and eventually being diagnosed with ADHD, either in addition to anxiety or, you know, as the new diagnosis. Um, there are so many things. Also, hormones, huge thing, like how hormones play. So how the menstrual cycle plays into ADHD. Um, different times during the month, our estrogen levels are different, and estrogen and dopamine have a really close tie. When you have low estrogen uh amounts in your body, your dopamine is highly impacted. And so uh, that cycle of understanding how your brain is showing up for you is really closely tied to gender too. So yes, on the outside, people had one idea of the way it looked. And then yes, also it's so much more complex in the female body. Maybe that's, maybe that's a judgment. There's, there's so many complexities to what ADHD looks like in a woman's body. Yeah. I'm so curious if you can all talk about like the um, overlap of anxiety, depression, ADHD, and how it oftentimes can just be missed of an ADHD diagnosis. Yeah, I am definitely not a medical professional, so I'll do my best. Um, I think it will help if I can speak from my personal experience. So um my personal experience is I have been diagnosed with PTSD, generalized anxiety, and ADHD. Um, nobody has told me whether I'm combined type or hyperactive type or inattentive type, uh, but I have my own understanding of probably what that is. So when I experience anxiety uh, associated with ADHD, it is often because of a spiraling of thoughts, and I cannot slow my brain down. Um, Dr. Hallowell talks about this as a Ferrari engine with bicycle brakes, and that's the feeling that causes so much anxiety. So let's say that I was planning a trip to go camping with my family. Um, I have four children. I'm married to my husband. There's a lot of preparation. They're all in elementary school. They're young. And the overwhelm because my frontal lobe of my brain with ADHD does not show up for me, of having to prioritize tasks, of being excited, of having to um, have a lot of decisions that I have to make for the family. So that could be decision overwhelm, of having to do this all the while, um, hearing a lot of noise and um, just being in a house full of kids, that stimulation. All of these things that are actually issues in ADHD um, are actually what's causing my shortness of breath, my increased heart rate, um, and my anxiety because my brain is not functioning smoothly. So I'm just going to take it one step further here, if that's okay. Let me give a little bit of education in a very nuanced way. So forgive me, but I like to think about my brain as a, a sailboat or a big boat even going through the water. And when I have the appropriate amount of dopamine, it's just sailing beautifully right on top of that water, really smooth and very visual. So this is what helps me. When I think about those very low dopamine days, 
and then we have all these other influences on us. I picture myself either with an anchor trying to drag that boat through the ocean or that the water level actually is my neurotransmitters and there is not enough water (laughs) in that body of water and that boat is just scratching the bottom of the ocean. So that would cause anxiety and that does cause anxiety in my body. But when I can increase my dopamine, when I can increase my neurotransmitter levels, all of a sudden I'm smooth sailing again. And so it's really not a matter of generalized anxiety. It's a matter of treating my ADHD. Ah, okay. That visual was so helpful for me because like I got the visual image of like staying stuck. Like the the um, common term that I've been seeing lately is analysis paralysis and like ADHD paralysis. And you you have like the to-do list in your head of things you know you need to do or what you want to do next, but you just kind of like, like your whole body shuts down, brain included. And so he- hearing you explain that visual was so really helpful. Um I, I want to hear more about like how you help clients and, and treat ADHD and, and go through the process. Like what does that look like? Of course, it's very individualized. It's very tailored to the needs of each client. So uh, I would say the foundational principle of how I coach and and what's really cool is I've gotten to know really personally about 30 or so different coaches because I also have a coaching directory for ADHD years. Um, and so I can say that the approach I take is called causal coaching. Um, this gets down to the root of the problem instead of just creating a Band-Aid on the top. Now, having said that, when we are bleeding, a Band-Aid is important. Okay, so it's important that we have tools, we have structures, we have systems on that superficial level. In fact, I would say that's what's allowed me to create the life that I have is because I'm able to have structures and systems so I can outsource my memory or my brain or my anxiety. I can outsource it to the system. So let's say getting my kids out the door in the morning um, with my husband, we do that together. Uh, but a lot of it was very (laughs) difficult for me. Now we have a structure and system. We have a visual in my house. So I, when I'm in that stress, I can look to that and it grounds me and helps me remember what we're supposed to be doing. Okay. So that, that is essential, but I want to drive home that I was unable to create that system until I actually got down to the root of the problem in my body, which was identifying where the problem areas were during the day, identifying what feelings were causing me to take inaction or to freak out or to yell at my kids. Like what was the feeling in my body during those high stress times during the day that caused that? And then taking it a step further, which is so amazing, is that our thoughts actually create our emotions. So if I am feeling the emotion of overwhelm, there is a thought in my head that says, these kids aren't going to get to school on time if we don't hurry up. And that is actually what's on replay in addition to, you know, a thousand other thoughts in my ADHD brain. (laughs) But that's how I work with my clientele is I give them the tools 
so that on their own, they're able to do that same process to ground themselves, to remind themselves, oh, there's a thought behind all of this. Do I want to continue to believe this thought or would I like to shift it or do I need to go ground my body? Maybe with EFT, maybe with meditation, maybe with a walk around the block, maybe with a favorite song. Um, But I need to get myself out of this activated state and take control over what's going on. I need to be, be an agent over my own life. I need to have that agency, that choice again. So I teach my clients how to do that. And then, of course, I coach them <laughs> on the calls when they bring a challenge to me. And then it opens up the whole world to them because they're in a relaxed state. They're in an open state. They're in a safe state where, guess what? Their brains can start to tap into their incredible creativity and make a system of their own that is tailored for their home, their family, their kids, the shape of their living room, whatever it might be. And I'm there to support them and give them suggestions as needed. Yeah. Yeah. So basically once their system is calmed down, then they have the brain space to be able to like figure out what will work for them. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, I, I'm wondering like how, when they're going through this process and they're trying to tell you, all right, Hey, I have this problem. I have this deadline. I know it's due. I procrastinate all the time. Like what, what kind of system do you even, um, make for things like that? Because procrastination is really big in ADHD and sometimes it's, a motivation like that needs to be explored sometimes it's just that's how they've always done it and that's their system like how do you work with procrastination and ADHD oh it comes up a lot I it it does and first understanding the science behind it the education behind it is really great when we're working under a time crunch what does that do to our body it increases adrenaline it increases dopamine it like the time crunch almost gamifies the task. And so when something is gamified, it's more interest driven. All of these things are what grabs an ADHDer's attention. So sometimes we just, um, without thinking about it, we think that procrastination is a bad thing because society tells us that. And so I think getting a really clear understanding on, is this something that you actually do want to stop doing or do you like it? And what are the consequences, what are the results when you do procrastinate? Which ones do you like? Which ones don't you like? If someone is a solopreneur or an entrepreneur, and let's say that they work um, on projects quarterly, and they have a project that's coming up, and they have like the, ca- the capability of resting for three weeks in between each quarter, and they're okay with that, then maybe the procrastination actually isn't a problem. It's the need to make rest after the procrastination. And that's very controversial (laughs) in the generalized neurotypical world, right? (laughs) So I would say to challenge challenge the thought that procrastination, procrastination is bad and then to feel into your body and take a look at the results and say, why is it bad? Why is it bad for me? Is it bad for me? And that's going to help you understand where you want to move that needle pointer 
What actions do you want to do differently? Um, if you're getting burnt out over and over again, probably you're right. Probably procrastination is not a helpful thing. So we either create more rest or we reverse engineer this and we figure out where the breakdown is. And most of the time, guess what? It comes to a feeling created by a thought. Maybe the thought is, I'm not allowed to rest. Rest is for weak people. Rest is for unsuccessful people. And so in an attempt to put off a task that's not very desirable, instead of resting so that you can actually do the task, you start to do all these random things and you're actually wearing out your brain and your body. So of course you wouldn't have energy to actually do the task at hand. Wow. That's, that makes so much sense. And that brings up the, uh, I can't remember the author's name, but it's, there's a book called Deep Rest. And it talks about how if we create more space for us to actually um, not be so busy in tasks, your creativity is going to flourish. Your creativity is just going to be off the charts because of what you just said. Your brain is finally going to be recharged. So, bravo. Yes. Yeah, bravo. Especially at the ADHD years, our, our rest is essential. It doesn't mean that we all have to rest the same way, but getting to know what your body needs is essential. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's diving into creating some systems with your causal coaching. What what happens after you implement the systems? Like, what's next? Oh, my favorite phrase that I use all too often is "You're the boss, applesauce." If you make the if you make it, you can change it. So, uh, having the flexibility of seeing how long it works and uh, seeing if there's need for change, like you are literally the boss of your life. So once again, another very neurotypical thing to think, very societal norm, is the idea that if we make a system, it has to last for forever. And it's malarkey. It's just not true. It's, just, yeah. it's not helpful. It's so permanent. You're right, though. It, it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. A system needs to last for however long it needs to last. And I think I see this a lot as businesses grow, a lot as children grow, a lot as partnerships grow and as people grow, like there is no way that I would treat my 20-year-old self the same way that I'm treating my 39-year-old self right now. If if truly a system that worked when I was 20 was supposed to last for forever, I'd be really I'd be really unhappy right now. And uh that doesn't, you know, time is just of the essence. Time is just the measurement of growth, right? So saying that something should last for a year or for two weeks or for three weeks is all irrelevant. So I would say giving yourself that permission to just be curious. I love that word. Just be curious about how this is working. Be curious about the tweaks that you could make make things better and kind of just be an experimenter about how this is all going to roll out. And when things start to work better, you start learning things about yourself to adjust and to learn from them. Um, I guess the next thing is just there will always be more things to work on. (laughs) So uh, becoming masterful at your self-awareness, your self-compassion, getting back into your body. Oh, why am I feeling this way? What thought is it connected to? Is that something I want to believe? Do I like the results? Do I want to shift the results? Um, And just continuing to apply that, that grace and that 
understanding for yourself and for others around you is why coaching is always helpful. Yeah. Well, so the others around you part comes up a a lot in my work because I see a lot of couples in my practice. And so oftentimes I'll get one partner who doesn't have ADHD and their spouse does. And the, the one who doesn't have it is just so frustrated and they, they'll tell me, gosh, it feels like I'm raising a second kid now. Like I just added another to the mix. How, um, th- like what would be your first, I guess, um, line of work when working with that partner who's just like frustrated, kind of fed up, feels like that their other partner is like another kid basically who has ADHD? Mm. It's a really legitimate question. Whenever you enter into any kind of partnership, any kind of relationship, I remember when I first started teaching and I had a team teacher, you know, I had two team teachers and we were all brand new to sixth grade. It would be weird if all of a sudden we were all on the same page right from the get go having, you know, like, okay, well, we're teachers, therefore we should know how to work at the same pace and the vibration and the creativity and the planning. That would be a little bit freaky if all of a sudden that happened and everyone was still being true to who they were, right? They weren't just being bossed around. Every relationship is this way. So I hear in that sentiment of, I feel like I have another child that there's a feeling, that there's a feeling that is causing them to have that sentence in their mouth. It's a feeling of maybe like misunderstood. It might be a feeling of frustration. It might be a feeling of hopelessness or helplessness. And if we can get more clear on what the feeling is, maybe they feel powerless, like they just can't help their spouse. And we don't know what it is, right? This is kind of up in the air because we don't have an actual client in front of us. But if we can get clear on what it is that we're actually feeling and what, once again, what the thought is or what the series of thoughts are or what the visual is in our mind that's causing those feelings, that's when the communication can begin. And a communication that is, I would call healthy communication, a respectful, a two-way communication of, hey, I care about you. I know that in many ways we want the same thing. That's why we're in a partnership. And the way that I would go about doing that is this way. And the way that it, that I see, it appears that you're trying to go about that way is unclear to me. Help me understand. And we all are, we, we all are, um, we have permission to feel feelings. Feelings aren't bad. It's in the communication of those feelings uh, that things get a little sticky sometimes, don't they? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I could keep going, but I want to make sure that that's what you asked. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. That, that lands. So if you do have more to say on that, go ahead. Uh, Yes, a lot of the time, and there's a general feeling that I have based upon what I have seen, 
Um, and I think that it has to do with, once again, society telling us how we're supposed to feel based upon the genders that we are or the stories that we have or whatever it might be. But I see a lot of men, cis men, who are a lot slower to gain full acceptance of their ADHD because the world tells them in many ways that they're not allowed to feel and we are big feelers that they have to provide whatever the heck that means that they have to be stronger physically that they have to be stronger mentally and that anything in between that there's only one way to be strong there's only one way to be emotional there's only one way to be courageous i just heard brene brown talking about like how being vulnerable is the best way that you can actually exhibit courage. And yet in a man, the world says you must be courageous, but you cannot be vulnerable. And how that just doesn't apply. Like the dissonance is just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. So bringing it back to your question of this, this communication or this relationship it does to a degree. I think there's a degree of full self-acceptance of your diagnosis that makes this easier. That if your partner is willing to accept their ADHD brain and learn about their ADHD brain, it makes things smoother. And (laughs) that doesn't mean that you can't have a beautiful, strong relationship, even if they are unwilling. I have met a lot of incredible people that can't quite have that gain, that full self-acceptance and are still the most loving, kind people full of service and all of that. And sometimes it just takes time, right? It takes time for us to accept our reality. And we aren't, it's not our responsibility to push somebody on that time, time path. So Um, having compassion, educating yourself about ADHD, educating yourself about this, having compassion for them. And then I would also say asking them for permission, for consent, if you ever wanted to bring up ADHD to them. Mm -hmm. um, Are you okay if I continue or do you have have another comment? Go ahead. I, yeah, I did have a comment. Um, yeah. Can you talk about what's important about asking permission for consent to talk about ADHD? I was thinking about when I was a kid. I was a really good kid. I was, um, I loved my parents. I was a great student. I was, I was a good kid. I wasn't naturally like a rebel. I, I, you know, those personality types, how there's the rebel type. I wasn't, I wasn't that. But <laughs> whenever my mom would come to me and say, hey, do you want help with piano? Or she wouldn't say that actually. She would say, let me help you with your piano. Or I can like, here, let me help you with your math lesson, with your math homework. This thing would happen in my body where I would tense up and I would become very defiant. And that was not my natural Camden. That was not my natural being. And so on reflecting upon that, on surfing my emotions is what we call it when I'm coaching with people, getting really inside of that moment. What I realized is that there were two things. I needed to feel loved, heard, seen, validated, that I was in a struggle. 
I needed that hug, whether it was with words, whatever your love language is, right? I needed to feel seen that I was in a struggle. And when that happened, my armor would come down. My heart would be more open. And then if someone said, I would really like to support you because I love you. Would it be okay if I helped you with your piano lesson? I can see this is really hard. All of the sudden, I felt relief. I didn't feel like somebody was trying to fight me. (laughs) I felt this relief and this openness. Now all of a sudden, my heart was soft and it was welcoming to their help. So that asking for consent after showing love, after showing validation and understanding like, oh, you're going through something hard, that consent of, and now I would like to help you. Would that be okay with you? Takes me from this compartment in my brain of like, I am at home doing homework on my piano. I don't have my piano teacher. I don't have my math teacher. And you're trying to, excuse me, you're trying to what? Like that transition with ADHD is really difficult. So you asking for consent, for permission to enter into this compartment allows me to come there with you and reminds my body, we have been asked, we have evaluated, and now we are transitioning by our own will. And that process is so much more smooth. when we have the mutual understanding, the mutual respect and consensual help uh, for the challenge, for the trial. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for explaining that um, because I I see how important that is as a lot of couples who haven't learned these effective communication skills, what happens will be they'll be so frustrated that a task is not getting done and they'll just say, oh, just let me help you or just let me do it and like totally disregard and dismiss everything going on for that other partner. And so the process you explained is so beautiful and like such a great antidote for a situation like that. Yeah, it's a great place to start, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tool in the tool belt. Yep. Now, I know um, I kind of cut you off and we got a little sidetracked with that thing. So I don't know if you had um, something else to say about that process. No, that's about where I was going to go. So <laughs> you read oh. you read my mind. It's perfect. Yep. I do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you get a feel for people, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so can, can you kind of talk about how else uh, ADHD affects other aspects of lives? We've talked a little bit about self, yeah. about with a romantic partner. What else does it affect? With a romantic partner? Sorry, I didn't quite oh, hear you. Um, yeah, but we've talked about it already with those things. So um, outside of romantic partner and outside of self, what other aspects does ADHD affect in our life? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks for restating that. It it impacts everything. Um, if you are familiar with any of the executive functions, so our brain is into to two different ideas here, right? We have the autonomic system, something that comes automatic, and then we have the executive side of our brain. And I think it's something like, I just read the statistic, 80 to 90% of the brain is on ad- automatic. This is things like our heart rate, our digestion, Um, our breathing rate, that's just like automatic. We don't even think about it. Our body just does it. The executive function 
which is things like decision-making, choice, um, working memory, um, anything that we actually have to do, (laughs) like technically have a thought process for and do, is that other 10 to 20%. And that 10 to 20% is the most stressful for ADHDers. We struggle so hard with the executive function side of our brain. And that's backed up by science and the frontal lobe of the brain, et cetera. So what does this look like in terms of ADHD symptoms is kind of maybe what you're asking. Um, Emotional regulation. In fact, uh, Dr. Uh, Hallowell, no, excuse me, Dr. Barkley and a variety of other uh, psychologists have said that ADHD is really not properly named. It's not, it's not attention deficit. It's not a deficit of attention. It really is a self-regulation um, disorder. And when we think about all the things we have to do to regulate ourselves, that's what it does not come naturally. We have to develop those skills. So let's break them down. <laughs> so we've got emotions, like regulating your emotions, time, regulating your time, impulsivity, whether or not you're going to do something, um, communication, whether or not you're going to say something or how loud you're going to say it, or if you're going to be really direct and sarcastic or like not. Um, it, it impacts so many things. Uh, I mean, I could just sit here and list them all. And understanding that I would like to, as to not like make us feel like a doomsday here, the more we get clear on what our personal big triggers are, the easier it's going to be to break down, you know, to make chips in in this ice sculpture and feel like that we're getting somewhere. Because trying to think about them all at once is completely overwhelming. But working on one thing, let me just tell you, as an ADHD coach and what I have observed, that one little thing makes a world of a difference in your anxiety level, in your mood, in your confidence. That ripple effect of really working on one thing and then seeing how it impacts everything else is real. It's so real. We are so used to just treading above water with ADHD that when we get to like swim with our shoulders out of the water, we feel like we're invincible. (laughs) We can do anything. Uh, So that's why like I want to add a little bit of sunshine to this that while ADHD does impact a lot of things, the more clear we get on our problem areas and we start to work on just one of them, we can breathe deeper. Yeah. I love that you were able to like put a positive like spin a light at the end of the tunnel on it like if you have this diagnosis yes there are a lot of um, difficulties that you may experience but that does not mean that you have to stay stuck there like there are so many different things and even if you just start with one oh my gosh that's gonna like change so much then sign me up please yeah Yeah. And there's so many great things. Obviously, I think that ADHDers are the most caring and heart-driven people. They are big dreamers. They have incredible creativity. They're really fun to be around. They're very spontaneous and 
um, generally speaking, guys, but like generally speaking, they're they're just good. They're just great people. I feel like I I hit the jackpot with the clientele I get to work with um, because of the dynamic nature, like the multifaceted nature of these brains and these people I get to work with. So don't discredit that, like your capacity and your skill and, and your grit that you've used your whole life just to keep your head above water. Now we get to use all of those attributes to help you live honestly the best life that you're trying to get after. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's struggles. Yes, all these things are going to happen. And now you're going to understand how to um, regulate yourself. You're going to understand how to approach those scenarios, not just by grasping at straws, but in a really logical and effective way for your body. And, and that's really, really cool. Yeah. I I love that. I'm excited um, to like even hopefully talk more to you about all of your work um, and things like that. I, we have to wind down today's show. Um, I'm just wondering if there's like any other piece of information or word of advice that you would like to give listeners um, f- for this episode. Like what would that be? I think as I knew that we were going to be talking today, ADHD years, most of us are very visual. And I said, I'm going to be talking on this podcast for a while. And I'm hoping, number one, you guys put this on two times speed or at least one and a half times speed because it's going to massage your brain so much better and you're going to get so much more out of it. But number two, what could I tell them that they could actually like visualize? And when you are in a relationship with ADHD, I want you to think of it as like ADHD university, okay? The first thing you do when you go to university is you get educated, okay? You get accepted into the university, you get educated, and you're like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And then what do you do after you graduate? You go and you apply those skills, whether it's in your first job or your internship. So you have strategies and skills. You use that education, and now you're implementing it. Okay, that's what you're going to do with your relationships. Educate yourself, accept yourself, graduate. You're going to go apply strategies and skills in your internship. These skills might be like communication. They could be systems. They could be grounding techniques, all the things we talked about today. And then what do we do for the rest of our life? We gain more clarity about who we are and we just keep persevering. So just like this three-step idea that if you're in a relationship with someone with ADHD, if you have ADHD yourself, if you're really struggling, that this cycle is just going to continue. Sometimes, you know, maybe um, with your sleep, let's say, you're at the education phase. You have not even thought about a strategy or a skill. You're just learning about ADHD and sleep. But maybe when it comes to um, eating meals, you're like, yep, I have a system now. And so that one, you're more on the clarity and the perseverance. And just understanding that there are just different aspects of your life that you'll be going through this ADHD university experience And that's exactly how it's supposed to be, that you're always going to be learning. You're always going to be growing. And if it wasn't with ADHD, it'd be with something else. Um, My clients are more self-aware than any neurotypical I have ever met after we've worked together. What that means is that they are more focused and more aligned by the time they're done than anyone else who naturally knows all the skills of their frontal lobe. Because we have to. We have to become experts on ourselves. 
in order to get to the life we want. And so I, I just like applaud all the ADHDers that I've worked with or that I know that have really been working on themselves because they are the most emotionally mature humans because they've had to be. Um, and very resilient, perfect word. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, it's a hard process. I, I say fun and I'm like optimistic about it because I've seen the <laughs> end from the beginning and everything in between. Um, it's just hopeful. It's, it's really hopeful, especially for late diagnoses who you just feel like, oh, well, we're just endlessly flawed, you know. Um, it's very hopeful to know that you get to create a life where there's a lot of good <laughs> and yeah. you get to take back, you know, take back your choice. Yes. And you do it so well. Well, thank you so much um, for talking to me today. Um, if, you know, what you had to say really resonated with listeners, what's the best way they can get in touch with you or see more of your work, et cetera? Thank you. Yeah, I, I would say reach out to me in a DM on Instagram. My handle, I'm sure they'll put in the show notes, Paige will put in show notes, but it's um, Camden with a K, K-A-M-D-E-N underscore A-D-H-E. Um, I'm both on TikTok and on Instagram, but most active over there. Uh, you can also shoot me an email. My email is the A-D-H-D-I-R-E-C-T-O-R-Y, the Directory at gmail.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions there as well. Very cool. Thank you so much. I'll have all those links in the show notes for everybody listening. And um, I hope you have a great day, Camden. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paige. This has been great. Okay, listeners, until next time, catch you on the next episode.